Hello, my name is Rick Pearson, and this is Prophecy USA, a program specifically designed to unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. In previous episodes, we've discussed how Jesus categorized seven distinct types of believers that would be living in the last days immediately before his return. He warned them of specific sins that would void them from escaping the tribulation. We've had a multitude of questions in our weekly Thursday night Bible study podcast, and we're going to answer some of those questions today. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. I'm in our studio here where we have our Bible study podcast. My, Karen, my wife, and I, uh, Karen assists me every Thursday night in the podcast, 7 o'clock uh, EST time. And we're going to address certain questions that come in concerning the seven churches. You know, America's covenant with God is manifested through her wealth, her military, her global influence around the world. And she's become a lady of kingdoms exactly as Isaiah and John described her. However, due to her wealth and carefree lifestyle, it makes a dramatic impact upon those who are believers. For some believers, the good life, the modern conveniences, and a total lack of empathy lulls some folks into a state of non-compliance when it comes to their relationship with Christ. And at this point, in Babylon's description, a spiritual transformation takes place when the angel declares to John, fallen, fallen, Babylon has fallen and become the habitation of every foul and unclean spirit. Unfortunately, instead of the church influencing Babylon's society, Babylon's rich, wealthy society influences the believers, even to the point that they fall away from following God's word. Now, Jesus warned us of that falling away and grouped believers into seven categories to look for immediately before he returns. We have an abundance of questions concerning this teaching. So before we begin, listen to this quick review, and we'll be right back with you after this. Jesus warns us in scripture that there will be an apostasia, or spiritual falling away that will affect believers immediately before a great tribulation comes upon the earth. Historically, that falling away began in several churches during the time the book of Revelation was written. Jesus warns his followers of several types of sins that would seduce his church and lead them astray. Although those believers of yesteryear have passed away, the sins and the spirits they were wrestling with still exist. It is the sin that Jesus is addressing in these passages. These historical churches fall under the theological tool known as typology. Typology is a description or type of believer 
then and there, exegesis, which represents what believers in the last days will look like in the here and now. In his admonition to the seven churches, Jesus says, I know your works. He is speaking to practicing Christians who are working in the churches, and he warns us today, just as he warned them 2,000 years ago, to let him who has ears hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. The first believers he addressed lived in Ephesus, as it says in Revelation 2. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. These believers have fallen from their first love for God. Jesus said in the Gospels, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Believers in Ephesus needed to restore their love for God, but especially their love for others. A close resemblance of believers in Ephesus are those in Sardis. Jesus speaks to the second church in Sardis in Revelation 3. He says, I know thy works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Repent, if you will not wake up. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. The Apostle James, Jesus' brother, provides a solution for these believers. In James chapter 1, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not hearer, but a doer, he will be blessed in his doing. Doers of the word were found in the next church called Smyrna. However, there was a price they paid in serving God. Jesus said to Smyrna, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. These are the first three of the seven churches that Jesus addressed. Welcome back, folks. Well, Karen, you have a multitude of questions about the seven churches uh, that, that are the seven churches that will appear, seven types of believers before the rapture takes place. Yes, Rick, we've received hundreds of questions, but I've whittled it down to what we can accommodate today. Okay. Uh, the first one is from Cindy, who said, many think the churches Jesus referenced in Revelation are historical or have come through different generations. Why do you think that these are present-day believers? Okay, that's one traditional thought about the churches. In Revelation, Jesus is talking about the end times, the last days right before he comes to rapture his bride. The believers in the past dealt with the same sins, but they are dead and gone. However, the spirits that tempted them to enter into those sins are still here alive and well, walking the earth and tempting last-day believers to participate in the same sins. One of the seven types of believers Jesus addressed in the church uh, is the Church of Philadelphia. And Jesus specifically emphasized to that group of believers, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut, a way of escape from the tribulation coming through that open door. Now, Philadelphia overcomes every sin that the other believers are dealing with. 
why would Jesus be mentioning all these sins and then also be warning us of the great tribulation coming? Is it because he's trying to get our attention? He's not warning people from 2,000 years ago. This letter is to those of us in the last days. He does not want anyone to have to go through the tribulation period. And that's how I answer that question. Mm -hmm. We have another question from Brian. Brian asks, there are Christians all over the world, Rick, yet you constantly talk about America. <laughs> what does the falling away of believers have to do with Babylon the Great? Okay, um, America, which we believe uh, is Babylon the Great, has the greatest number of Christians in her than any nation. And she's a covenant nation. The Bible says, Surely I will fill thee with men, O Babylon, as with caterpillars, and they shall lift up a shout against thee, O Babylon. Babylon is the seventh of eight providential nations in Scripture. Believers are in her before her plagues come unto her. So these verses are warnings to believers all over the world, but they're specifically pointed towards Babylon. Babylon itself is a, a major signpost of Christ's return. By and large, those believers in Babylon must first realize who we are in Bible prophecy before we can warn others. And sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. You know, when the angel says, come out of her, my people, and take no part in her sins nor in her plagues, he's talking specifically to Babylon. How do you come out of her if you don't even know who she is. Once we realize what is happening, it is our duty to raise up a shout and warn others of what is coming. But if we don't know what is coming, how can we warn others? That's why Jeremiah foretold us to lift up a shout. But Peter also warned us, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. You know, America is a covenant nation. She'll be judged differently than other nations. And so will you and I if we reject the signs of the times. So where exactly do we go from here? Stay tuned. We have a lot more questions coming. Prophecy USA is proud to present their latest book, The Hour That Changes Everything together with our study guide and free app. Prepare yourself for one of the greatest events in Bible prophecy. Go to prophecyusa.org or call the number on your screen now to make your donation of $35 or more and receive your copy of the book, The Hour That Changes Everything. We are waiting to hear from you. Call today. Welcome back, folks. You know, Karen and I are answering questions 
from a multitude of people that join us every Thursday for our Bible study podcast. And you can join us uh, on live chat and ask questions yourself. So we encourage you to join us Thursdays at 7 p.m. Uh, just go to our website and you can, you can click the button and join us for a live YouTube. So uh, right now we have a multitude of questions and Karen's been whittling them down. What do we have, Karen? I have been whittling them down. Um, this one is from Bob from Columbus, Ohio. He writes, the descriptions of the Sardis and the Ephesus believers seems almost the same to me. How do you differentiate between the two? Okay, they are, they are a close match. Um, Jesus warns the emphasis, uh, or the, uh, the, the church of Ephesus, the Ephesus believers. And he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou has left thy first love. There is something missing in the relationship that these believers have with God. It's like the elderly couple who were driving in their car and the wife said, honey, do you remember when we used to sit real close when we were young and uh, I used to cuddle up beside you while you drove and now you're over there and I'm over here. Whatever happened to those days? And the, the elder gentleman looked at his wife and he said, I don't know, honey, but I didn't move. You know, God never moves from you. We move from him. And sometimes in the day-to-day -day activities of life, we're doing his works, but there seems to be no presence or feelings of love or compassion within us. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment was this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ephesus forsook the first commandment but Sardis forsook the second commandment. In Revelations 3, 2, it says, I know your works, what thou has, that thou has a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now, Harper's Bible Dictionary describes the word perfect as meaning they're not sound and they're lacking fidelity. Harper's Bible Dictionary says those works, that, that word perfect means perfect in knowledge, in justice, in fidelity, and in promise keeping. In other words, these believers of Sardis were working, but their motives or their fidelity were not based on love. Perhaps they were like the scribes and Pharisees who outwardly were working for the approval of man, but they were not moved by compassion to help others in their need. You know, Paul put it this way, whatsoever ye do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So in Matthew 20, it says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Jesus moved with compassion. He just wasn't doing a job. He did it compassionately from his heart. 
Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So the question is, what is motivating you? Are you moved with compassion to do good, to serve others as Christ served? Or are you motivated by lust for fame, for power, for money? Do you want to be recognized, noticed, or applauded by man? Or is your goal, like Matthew 25, 21 says, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, but I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know, according to scripture uh, in the ESV Bible, the bride of Christ is said to be rewarded with white robes based on their personal righteous deeds or acts of loving kindness. Revelation 19, 7 through 10 says, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You know, whenever you come into contact with others and you do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, you're doing righteous deeds. Now, it might not seem like much to you, but you're heaping up a storehouse of eternal rewards by letting the life of Christ shine through you to others. Honesty, fairness, kind words and exhorting, not tearing down others, create eternal rewards in heaven that are awaiting you. When Jesus walked the earth, people asked, is this the carpenter from Galilee? Notice that they said, is this the carpenter? You know, Jesus had a reputation that preceded him. He was not just a carpenter. He was the carpenter. People knew who he was. Now, I don't know this as a fact, but I'm sure that the first 30 years of Jesus' life, what he did, he did with perfection. He was dependable. He was honest, and whatever he did with his hands, he did it as unto the Father. Live a life of excellence in every area. Be the best father, mother, daughter, son, student, employee, or employer that you can be. That is exactly what God requires of us. You know, even Paul said that the life of Christ might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. If you want your works to be rewarded in heaven, then serve others exactly as you would have them serve you. And you fulfilled all the commandments. What do we have, Karen, for the next question? I have a question from Irene. She wrote in to ask, the Bible says that Smyrna is the persecuted church. Who do you think today is the Church of Smyrna? And is Smyrna in America? Okay, uh, let's first look at Smyrna. And who was that? That was from... Irene. Irene. Okay, Irene. Revelations 2, 8 through 11 says, I know thy works in tribulation of poverty, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan, 
fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye be not tried, or that ye be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. You know, at the time of this teaching, the Smyrna believers were doers, but they were under tremendous persecution for not worshiping the emperor. They lived under pressure every day. If they didn't choose to worship the emperor, they were banned from making a living and under constant pressure from the government. Now, the Greek word for tribulation here means affliction. And it meant to be under a crushing weight. Is that what that word means? It's affliction or under a crushing weight due to this pressure or circumstances of what the government was doing to them. Uh, Smyrna believers today are working in the kingdom, but are suffering from tribulation and persecution. They're confronted by those who say they are believers, but are not. Now, the Open Door Foundation notes that 83% of the world's population lives in nations where religious freedom is threatened or banned. And it's documented that, that there are 300,000 secret believers in North Korea who risk their lives to follow their Christian uh, belief. The North Korean regime formally demands its officials, in their words, to wipe out the seed of Christian reactionaries. Now, in 2018, uh, Open Doors Foundation said there were approximately 250 million Christians experiencing high or very high or extreme persecution for following Jesus. Nearly one of every 12 Christians in the world lives in an area or in a culture in which Christianity is illegal, forbidden, or punished. Now, us in USA, anyone being confronted, opposed, ridiculed, or mocked for their faith in Christ is part of the suffering of Smyrna. But there's a difference between disagreeing with someone and outright degrading, mocking, or demeaning someone for what they believe. And we know that synagogue uh, means as houses of assembly. Satan, of course, means adversary or accuser of the brethren. In our culture, it's becoming aggressively divided by hatred toward biblical protocol. And in some cases, that hatred is being infused by government regulations that stifle a person's speech or opinion. Stalin, Mussolini, Hitler were relentless against anyone who opposed them. They owned the newspapers, uh, printed what they wanted, and silenced any speech who opposed their ideology. In fact, Hitler's brown shirts literally killed 127 political dissidents immediately after his election. So when Scripture says Babylon the Great has fallen and become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit, this is what you're witnessing right now in our culture. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, Jesus warned in Matthew 25, 40, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, 
you have done it unto me. We will reap whatever we sow. And we don't know if that persecution will become physical in America or not. But there definitely is persecution and maybe much more coming mm -hmm. to North America. Mm -hmm. We do have some more questions. Uh, Joe and Diane wrote in to say, we love your program and your Bible study podcast, Rick. Good. But what does it mean when Jesus says they will be given a crown of life? Okay, this is the Church of Smyrna. Mm -hmm. And the Church of Smyrna has promised a crown of life. The Bible says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Jesus said, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There are five crowns that will be given out for certain deeds that believers do. One is the crown of righteousness. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth there is laid for me a crown of righteousness. Those are acts of loving kindness. Number two, there's an incorruptible crown. That incorruptible crown is found in 1 Corinthians 9.24. Now know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that ye may attain, obtain, and every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. He is talking here about running for the incorruptible crown. There's also a crown of life. Blessed is the man that endures temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There's also a crown of rejoicing. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope or joy or, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Christ at his coming? There's a crown of rejoicing at his coming. You know, I was on a board of an organization once, and the press was printing all kinds of lies about the board. And I came home and I was very discouraged and I complained to the Lord. And he gave me this verse, Matthew 5, 12. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. And I thought, wow, short-term pain, long-term gain. Bring it on. You know, you're, they are heaping up treasures in heaven for you when people come against you. On your account, you're reaping treasures in heaven. Now, there's a crown of righteousness, an incorruptible crown, a crown of life, and a crown of rejoicing. And so when people start coming against you, don't get discouraged and don't be dismayed. Rise up on the inside. If you don't bump into the, into the devil head on, there's a good chance he's walking right along beside you because you and him are heading, hopefully, in opposite directions. <laughs> And as we get closer to his demise, he's going to turn up the heat. So there are going to be some tests to pass, but be of good cheer. It's an open book test. And we already know who we are, where we sit on God's prophetic time clock, 
and exactly what happens when that time clock strikes the midnight hour. But you know, Karen, we're out of time and we're gonna have to say goodbye to you, but we wanna remind you to stay encouraged, rejoice in the Lord, and Jesus Christ of Nazareth is alive and he's coming back much sooner than many people think. We'll see you next week on Prophecy USA. Shalom.